Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 35 and 36 of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. I thought that no one could fix me. How was your week, Libby? It's been a fun one. I've been re-watching Grey's Anatomy just because background noise. How does that not give you anxiety? Background noise. Can't pay too close attention. As like a medically fragile medical human (laughs) i've come very close to dying several times medically in my life i have danced so close along that line i like even as a child it it was it was a close call quite a few times so i don't know it's it's comforting in a weird scary dark twisted way dark and twisty They, they like to say that about meredith that she's dark and twisty and i feel that but by doing so i did not realize who else was watching Grey's anatomy and have now created a fan my child is very interested in Grey's anatomy your daughter likes Grey's anatomy oh hardcore very hardcore and wanted to understand the surgeries and had a lot of questions and was like oh that looks rough and like she's into it and i'm like okay and <laughs> one of the episodes she found out because she didn't she doesn't like sat down and watch all of them she comes in in and out right and she saw one of the doctors was sick and needed surgery and she was like but they're a doctor and i had to explain to my child that teachers don't sleep at school and doctors can get sick and this rocked her world and she was like doctors doctors she was like so you and i we can get sick and i was like yeah she was like, anybody? And I was like, literally anybody. And she's like, oh my God. Like that, that was news. And I did that to her. <laughs> oh my God. How dare you? So good. It was a good week. Oh my God. My already very anxious, too aware of the world child who in public is like, don't go too far, mommy. We don't want to get kidnapped. We don't want strangers to take us. <laughs> Why is that person watching us? So she's already gotten into true crime. Yeah, she's very into true crime. I, I have watched <laughs> true crime episodes. Like I've watched 2020 episodes on different things. And then she'll just waltz in and she'll be like, did they die? Did they? And I'm like, I, I don't lie. We don't lie. We don't lie to our kid. Yeah, they die. Yeah, they're she dead. She has an understanding <laughs> of death. Oops. And she's just a little too interested. We'll be like, all right, hey, you got to go take a bath. Go take a bath. And she's like, can you pause it? I'm like, no, no, I can't pause it for you <laughs> to find out. And you don't need to learn about the Zodiac no, killer ma'am. just yet. All right. I mean, yeah, she does. Because better safe than sorry. But like also age appropriate. BTK, we're not going there yet. She's not ready for BTK. We don't need to start there. We don't need to get into Ted Bundy yet. Not yet. She's got plenty of time before college. We will get there. We just need to get through elementary school. She's got a very healthy sense of fear. 
Okay? Oh, my God. I don't need to keep piling it on. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. She thinks of things that, like, I don't even think of. Like, the stuff that she thinks of, I'm over here, like, at that age, that never would have entered my mind. Meanwhile, she's like, so when are you going to die? Can you just tell me so I can be ready? And I'm like, no. She has brought that up. You've sent me so many many Snapchats where she's like, well, when mommy dies, me and you, to your, to your husband, yeah. me and you can do this. And I'm like, are you not telling us? Something? Should we be worried? By who? How am I going to die? Is it like medically? Are you going to do something? Yes. What? 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 Oh my God. She's very aware of this, her surroundings and the world. And sometimes, you know, it's it's good because it keeps her safe. But sometimes it's not good because then she cries for an hour on Mother's Day because she realizes how much she loves her mom and she's not ready for her mom to not be around anymore. And she wants to know why she has to move out when she's an adult. And does she really have to? Can she just move close to us and just live with us instead of moving out? And then she's like going through the house this weekend, Abby. Hold on. That's how you know you're doing a good job as a parent, though. (laughs) Because even as I was a kid, I was like, get me out of here. See, this weekend... She was doing inventory of my clothes and was like, if I have to leave, can I have some of your clothes when I go? And I was like, <laughs> I I don't know. I don't even know if those will still be like in style when you eventually leave. But sure. Because you just tell her yes. You just, yeah, uh-huh. Sure, honey. My jewelry. Oh, yeah. My jewelry is a big one. She's like, so when you guys die, I can have your, your rings and your earrings. And I'm like, yeah. So, like, I think that eases her worry about us dying. She's like, you know, it could be a not so bad thing. Oh, my gosh. So what about you, Abby? Go ahead. What about you? I have multiple things. Of course I do, because I always do. Um, But, okay, number one. I did. Do you know those like spooky Halloween paintings? Like you go to a thrift store. Yes. You add ghosts and witches to it. Yes. The new paint pumpkins and ghosts yes okay so i had a spoopy painting night with my friends here which is also weird to say that i have friends in italy now which is cool we did the spooky painting night but thrift stores really aren't a thing here so it's not like i go to a thrift store so my friend works at a printing department so she just printed them out for us we found paintings online and we painted them and it was so fun to do like a little fun fall night so i want to i'll give you them to post on the instagram because it turned out so stinking cute now do i know where they went no no idea uh they're supposed to be in this house and I don't know where I put them. And then, okay, next thing, my best friend, other best friend, Libby's one of them. Okay. My other best friend, Lindsay, is coming to visit a week from when this episode airs. And I am so excited. We know how the trip with my parents went, which was a little bit stressful. And I've been saying all year, if I can just get through my parents' trip to Lindsay's trip, Everything will be okay. And uh, we're through it. You had your practice run and now it's the real deal. There you go. She's my third visitor, which I feel blessed to say that three people have traveled across the world to come see me. Um, She's my third, uh, I guess, group of visitors to come. And we've got like so many good things planned. We're going to Venice on Halloween and doing a haunted tour of Venice, like a haunted walking tour on Halloween night at 9 p.m. to 11 Like, 
How cool is that? I am so jealous of like you getting to experience holidays in Italy. I think it's going to be so awesome. I don't know if they, I mean, they're getting a little bit better about Halloween over here. So, but I don't know if they're going to do anything in Venice for Halloween. I'm sorry. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean a little bit? There's a history of, is Halloween bad in Italy? Oh no, they don't celebrate it. Oh. It's an American holiday, my friend. Like our typical Halloween, like dressing up with candy and the fall hayrides and the, that is that is America. Okay. There's no trick-or-treaters around like my town. And I live in like a relatively busy town, not like a city, but a town. Nobody okay. dresses up unless you go on base and then, then it's, you know, the Americans. Right. So I'm excited to like go in and still do something very spooky. Lindsay and I are doing a photo shoot and she got a, she got me a crown, like a, a night court themed crown. I got this dress. I haven't even sent it to you, Libby. Oh my God. This is news. I know. I'm so behind. It's a star dress. Like it is literally the definition of a night court dress. Oh. And we're going to do a photo shoot and Lindsay is like killer at makeup and she's gonna do our makeup i got a uh, black dress and she's got the na- same dress in navy blue it's just gonna be so cool i'm excited i can't wait and then very last because of course i have seven thousand things i for the first time in my life am addicted to a game which is exciting for me because we have a lot of systems and like and when i say systems i don't just mean like we have a playstation and an xbox we have several generations of each oh and we don't share so like my husband has one and then i have one type jeez louise my friend we go hard in this house so when you told me that you had a game i was like oh yes good i love my husband but gaming has been his thing, <laughs> and I respect him for that. Um, it was not my thing. And then this game called Fae Farm came out. And, like, I played Animal Crossing and Stardew Valley, but they both had issues, personal issues with that that I felt that I just couldn't really get into it. And uh, Fae Farm has fixed those, and now I am downright obsessed. I played it for two hours today. Straight, Libby. Two. I'm gonna need you to pump those numbers up, Abby. Those are beginner numbers, all right? I'm gonna need you to- I've uh, never played a game for two hours straight in my entire life, besides Candy Crush, because I am a millennial. Oh. But I have never played a game for that long, except for, no, I'm obsessed with Fae Farm. I did name my city Prithian. <clears throat> you named it Prithian, really? <laughs> I love it. Okay. Yes. I sure did. And does it look anything like print? No, of course it doesn't. Okay. But it's really fun and it's got like, you know, like quests for you. I feel so dumb saying that. Ugh. Abby, there's nothing to be ashamed of. See, I feel like this is hard for you as the two yes. of us were like, I'm the resident, like I I, I love gaming of all, all sorts of types and I love anime and manga and that for you you're just like it gives you the creepy crawlies it's hard for you and i get it yes just accept it dive right into the dark side abby join us i told my husband i said oh my god we've got a big problem and he said what's wrong and i said i've been playing fae farm for two freaking hours and he goes honey that's not a problem that's a good thing and i was like no, I could be cleaning. I could be cooking. I could be doing literally anything. Abby, Abby, shh. No, 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 no. Accept it. Let the video game swallow you whole. Um, crawl under a rock and stay there and join the world of gaming and then come back out in a week and be blinded by the sunlight and then crawl back under and keep playing. 
Welcome. I just want to say I have joined the dark side and now I like a game. As someone who absolutely loves Stardew Valley, I hope you'll give it a second chance, especially because I am I will anxiously awaiting the who knows when it would ever be released. The the um, Haunted Chocolatier game that's supposed to also come from Concerned Ape. You mentioned this. Yes. Oh, man. I truly think that you, if you give it another chance, especially because you're kind of entering the gaming world a little more, you're getting some groundwork. Never say that again. Never say that sentence again to me. I'm sorry. You're entering another form of pastime. You're finding a new hobby. There we go. Use it a little better. There we go. And no one has to know about it. You don't, we can be friends on our Switches. Only I would know. It's my secret shame hobby. We can co-op. There's a co-op mode in Stardew, so we can build whatever type of farm together. We could do it together, Abby. There's so many fun things. And, like, you'll find out about the mayor, how he's sleeping with one of the townspeople, and you have to go find his underwear, and it's in the lady's bedroom, and it's, like, scandalous, and it's hilarious. Abby. There's so many things. Libby, I just want you to be proud that I was even able to manage Fae Farm. (laughs) I am. I am so proud. You know, I I don't know. I'm excited. I'm hoping that maybe one day I can guide you into the world of like Fallout or... (laughs) Okay. No, you're just already like too far. No, Fallout's an easy... It's an easy step into the, the FPS world. Libby, I love you so much. Look... I'm not throwing you into any MMOs. I'm not putting you into the deep end. There's so many choices. Well, we shall see. (laughs) Maybe. That's not a no, and that is better than it's ever been. You know, I'll accept it. Look, with that, let's move on to the question of the week before you change your mind. (laughs) I forgot about the question. What is our question this week? Our question is, what is a deal breaker in a friendship? I'm going to let you go first on this one. I've got some very specific things. I like to think of it as the chameleon friend. Okay. Like, if you're one person with me, and then you're another person with someone else, and, Mm -hmm. like, you are literally just altering your personality to be friends with someone no like I don't want someone who's going to agree with me on everything right I don't like that I'm I don't need I don't need the love bombs I don't need the ego boost I don't need to feel like you're my other half of a person that's okay we don't need that that's too much I don't like that you know it's funny You have a husband for that. (laughs) Well, my husband and I don't agree on everything. I don't think I could be with him if we got, we were, we were so in sync. That's too much. I, if I wanted to marry me, I would have stayed single. If I wanted to just be friends with me, I would. So I don't need someone who puts on a face to gain my favor or someone else's. Like if I find out you're one person with me and you're just a, changing your colors to match me but then like I see you doing that with like other people it's like oh I don't know you at all I know who you want me to think you are so like those those make me feel icky I don't like that no love what about you I really respect not backstabbing people that's like ooh, that's real easy yeah I am very much be friends with people that speak good about you when you're not in the room right yeah I have had the opposite happen with a friend of mine that I was friends with for 10 years. Libby, you know exactly who this is. We don't speak about him anymore. That person did it to both of us. Literally. Yeah. (laughs) Sure did. That is my new rule. I will not be friends with you if I think the minute I leave the room, you're going to be talking crap behind my back. That is like the number one thing I look for in a friend. 
And then the same, like I, I need them to be authentically themselves and for me to click with that. I have recently learned there are a lot of people that I don't click with as a neurodivergent person. I don't really click with quote normal people. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like people who talk about sports and accounting. Oh, yeah. I mean, my husband's an accountant, but you know what I mean? Like sports and like the, the Dow Jones. I'm following. Something or not. I don't know. And I don't have to be friends with those people. Like deal breaker is if we don't have any of the same interests, you're not a little bit ADHD and or if you're a backstabber. I think that's a pretty good list. Oh, I also, if you can't communicate to me, if you have a problem with me, if you're just going to like never address it or like disappear be- and decide like you're done with me, you know, like it, you have to be able to. Oh, yeah. Like, call me on my shit. I think we've literally called each other out so many times too. And Endlessly. Like, yes. I don't like if you can't be real. It, so yeah, like we, we have both touched on the authenticity. If you can't be a real person and you can't let me know if you have a problem or if I have hurt your feelings, then I guess to me, it's like, I, we're not real friends until those things get brought up. Like Libby, remember when I was going through surgery and I didn't talk to anybody Yeah, for like a month, Yeah, which is so weird for us because we usually talk at least weekly and you had to message me, like, me and be like, are you mad? Are you good? You're like, what is wrong? And you know, I'm a person that needs plenty of reassurance. So I'm not even, sometimes Abby, you'll get those messages where I'm like, are we good? And you're like, yes, dude. I will will message you be like, shut up. I love you. You're fine. We're good. You're just like, I need you to understand when I say this, it's with the most love. And I'm like, oh, I can handle it. Okay, okay, we're good. We're good. And I, because I am also a human with anxiety. So I will literally be like, hey, nothing's wrong. Do not take this the wrong way. I just have to communicate X, Y, and Z. Breathe. Which is, I think, why we get along so well. It works. I was like, am I a weird person? But you know, we have a smutty um, podcast. So yeah, this fit. Libby, we're talking about fairies. (laughs) Fucking fairies. What do you mean, are you weird? (laughs) Yes. That's not even a question. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. We we were both built, bullied as children, so yeah, it's it works. <laughs> Am I weird in the most respectful way? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Embrace your weird, please. Anyone younger that is trying to fit in, don't do that. Oh my gosh, those people that fit in, they are so boring now. Like ew. Libby, could you imagine like going back to high school? I would be the weirdest kid ever, and I would not care. I would have. Ah, uh, yes, I would have totally just taken on the personality instead of trying to like get through. Mm-hmm. I wish I could go back and let my freak flag fly. I wish I could have shown all those things off more because like all the people that I was friends with that were like super out there and embraced it. They're so cool still. And like, I love following the things that they do in their lives. And I'm just like, man, like I wish I could have been that confident back then. I wish I could go back now with the confidence I have. Yeah. And I hope that like, I just hope that I'm raising my kid. I think I am. Oh my, that's not even a question. But I hope that I'm raising my kid with all the confidence in the world. That's not even a question. Yes. Uh, 
to be fair, if anyone's like, you're cute. She's like, I know. Thanks. I know. I'm well aware. Thank you. <laughs> I've gotten some looks when she doesn't. I'm like, but she is. You, you acknowledged it. Should she not be aware of it? Should she not too see it? I agree. How is that wrong for her to know that she's adorable? I agree. 10 out of 10. All right, Libby, are you ready to discuss the book? The weird fairy book that we spend hours discussing. Yes. <laughs> if you would have told younger us when we were in high school, give it 10 years, literally 10, it's been 10 years since, or not high school. If you would have told us 10 years ago when we were in college in our like speech class that we'd be on a podcast about a book about fairies, I would have laughed so hard and said you were an idiot. Here we are. I'm like, you are high. That, mm-mm. <laughs> welcome and you know what i hope that not only would you have been high but you still would have told me that and i couldn't believe it and then when it happens i'd be like oh my god like i wish you would have rocked my world that way there's no way either of us would have believed it all right chapter 35 slowly favor awoken to growing pains the taste of blood and distant sound of footsteps the smell of mold filled the area and sharp pieces of the hay below her poked her face. Favor peered through her swollen eyes to see she was in a prison cell, stripped of her weapons. She became dizzy as she sat herself upright and saw this was more of a dungeon. She realized her face radiated more pain than anywhere else, specifically her broken nose. Her jaw was intact, lips split, and although swollen, she could still see through her eyes. The worst of the damage had been done to her nose. She made a plan to stay calm and use any water given to her to clean the wound. Pharaoh was unaware how long she had been unconscious, and she knew she wouldn't be prepared for her first task, regardless. She knew Amarantha planned for her to die, and by the end of it all, there would be little left to even torture. Pharaoh could hear shrieking in the distance, and the cracking of a whip. She wondered if Claire had cried as this creature was. Favor told herself she basically tortured Claire herself, and deserved whatever torture Amarantha had in store for her but she would still find a way to make it right. Favor drifted in and out of consciousness and eventually awoke again to the sound of her cell door dragging open. Lucian crept in, asking Favor if she had lost her mind. Why was she even there at all? Favor began to explain about going back to the manor and speaking with Alice, but Lucian told her she shouldn't have come, that Tamlin had sacrificed a great deal to get her out. Favor got louder and defended that she was here now and that there was nothing more they could do to change that. Softer, she said she had to tell Tamlin she loved him, had to see if it wasn't too late. Lucian realized Favor now knew everything. He examined her broken nose and told her he would have to set it before he could heal it. Favor told him to do it. Right now. Now! As Lucian set her nose, a loud crack broke through her ears before she passed out. She woke and felt no more of the agonizing pain in her face. The bruises remained as an attempt to hide that Feyre had received any help at all. Feyre mentioned that she was confused, remembering that Amarantha had taken his magic. Lucian told her that Amarantha gave some of it back to entice Tamlin into taking her offer. It didn't work. Feyre realized Lucian was also trapped under the mountain. All the High Lords were, until Feyre's trials would be completed. Or until she was dead. Favor thought to herself. Favor stumbled over her words while asking if the ring Amarantha wore was really Jurian's eye. Indeed, Lucian responded, surprised at how much Favor really did know now. After facing Jurian one-on-one and quickly demolishing him, Amarantha kept his eye and finger bone as keepsake jewelry. But Clithia had promised Jurian that he would never die. So as long as Amarantha wields those body parts, Jurian's soul would remain preserved and trapped through magic. His soul and consciousness would stay bound to those pieces, watching it all. Lucian tapped his eye and was relieved that he hadn't received the same punishment from Amarantha. 
Favor shuddered at the thought of Amarantha, thinking her to be an immortal, cruel huntress, collecting trophies from her victims for centuries to come. Favor began to ask about Tamlin, but Lucian heard the shift change of the guards, the alert ready to punish guards coming to replace the now drunk, worn-out ones. Lucian asked Feyre to try and stay alive before vanishing. A guard glared through the peephole before continuing on. Feyre was again in and out of consciousness for what she believed to be several days. She received three meals of stale bread and water, which came at no set time. Guards came and drug her to the throne room, to which she didn't struggle or fight back against. She examined the room, noticing there were no windows. They were underground. Favor avoided looking at Claire's rotting body on the wall. The crowd surrounding was dressed in decadent clothing and appeared clean and well-fed. Favor didn't see Lucian, though. Amarantha was dressed in a gown made of rubies, which only accentuated her red-gold hair and smiling lips. Amarantha declared how terrible Favor looked, asking Tamlin if he agreed that Feyre had taken a turn for the worse. Tamlin said nothing, did nothing. He didn't even dare to glance Favor's way. Amarantha started up, rambling about not sleeping well the previous night, since she had planned to be such close friends within the next few months. Yet, she still didn't even know Favor's name. Favor felt slightly charmed and welcomed by Amarantha, understanding why the High Lords had fallen for her lies in the past. Favor hated her for this. Favor said nothing. Amarantha frowned. She felt it wasn't fair that Favor knew her name, but she wouldn't share her own. The adder appeared through the crowd, grinning at Feyre. Amarantha warned her that she had already learned once the consequences of giving false names. Rhysand! Amarantha beckoned the High Lord of the Night Court to come forward, and he bowed. Feyre noticed the night rippling off him. Rhysand told Amarantha that Feyre may have been the girl he saw at Tamlin's estate, but he wasn't certain, as all humans looked the same to him. Amarantha smiled sweetly and asked if he thought the same of fairies. Rhysand assured her that among the sea of mundane faces, hers was a work of art. Feyre would have snorted if she had the strength. She knew Rhysand knew what she looked like. He had easily recognized her before. Amarantha asked Rhysand for Feyre's name, but he shrugged it off. How should I know? Feyre wondered if it was a game to him or just more court politics. Amarantha snapped her fingers and the adder grabbed Lucian. Amarantha ordered Rhysand to hold his mind and Lucian went perfectly still. Only sweat moved on him. Four tall, muscular, red-haired fae came to the front to witness the show, all equally amused, the four remaining sons of the Autumn Court. Amarantha demanded Feyre's name from Lucian. Nothing. Amarantha demanded Feyre's name from Tamlin. Nothing. Tamlin watched Lucian's brothers. Amarantha playfully asked Lucian's brothers if they knew. They wished they did and promised that they would have been the first to tell her if so. But no. They did not know either. The brothers speaking appeared to be the eldest. Amarantha smiled to him before lifting a hand to Rhysand, signaling him. Lucian stiffened and Feyre shouted her name out for Amarantha. Amarantha nodded and Rhysand stepped back. Rhysand appeared to have been given more power than his peers. Or maybe this was his remaining tiny piece of magic, which would have meant that his power must be extraordinary. Feyre, Amarantha said, feeling the name on her mouth. Feyre felt nothing but relief that Amarantha hadn't asked for her family name. Amarantha reminded Feyre that she had promised her a riddle. All Feyre needed was to solve this, and she, Tamlin, and all of Tamlin's court may leave immediately with her blessing. The poem was this. There are those who seek me a lifetime, but never we meet, and those I kiss, but who trample me beneath ungrateful feet. At times I seem to favor the clever and fair, but I bless all those who are brave enough to dare. By large, my ministrations are soft-handed and sweet, 
but scorned I become a difficult beast to defeat. For though each of my styles lands a powerful blow, when I kill, I do it slow. Amarantha proudly repeated herself, and Favor's mind was empty, devoid of answer, ineffectual. Favor thought back to all the illnesses that had taken those in her life, but nothing fit. The crowd behind her laughed, and Resan watched her with a smile. Feyre suddenly realized that Amarantha had stressed the word immediately in the conditions of the release involving the riddle, but not when it came to the trials. Was there a difference in winning one of the two? No. Feyre wouldn't allow herself to dwell on this now. Feyre couldn't come up with any possible answers to this damn riddle. Her foolishness weighed on her, and she felt she'd be better off just ending her suffering by her own hand instead of allowing Amarantha to take the slow satisfaction of doing it. Amarantha told her to think on it and give an answer when it came to her. She would be waiting. Favor watched Tamlin as she was taken back to the dungeons. She knew she would lose. Favor spent what she thought to be the next two days in the dungeon cell, eating the edible pieces of the food brought to her. She knew better than to hope to see Tamlin, but she was disappointed when Lucian never came. She spent her time trying to decipher Amarantha's riddle, but it only became more confusing as time went on. She considered poisons and venomous animals, but those didn't work either. They were also worried on whether she would be immediately released upon winning the trials or if Amarantha would take her time on that. But she tried to focus on the riddles, telling herself that she was overthinking and being paranoid. When she slept, she often dreamed of the imaginative cruelty Amarantha would come up with. She had terrors that she too would be an eye trapped in a ring, forced to watch Amarantha's tyranny unleashed onto the world. She'd rather be obliterated altogether. This was nothing compared to the unmatched fear Feyre had when the guards opened her cell door and told her the full moon had risen. And seen. She is a wolf and it's a full moon. Oh shit. This is another really long chapter, so we're on what? Seven pages. So you're welcome. Chapter 36. Feyre could hear the crowd of fairies before she saw them. She wasn't shackled, but knew if she made one wrong move, she'd be caught in seconds. The crowd only got louder as she entered what seemed to be a large arena. The floor was wet and full of mud, and the cavern wasn't decorated. The crowd stared at Vera, and even though she couldn't tell what they were saying, she could assume it wasn't anything nice. The hall was full of less and high fae. Merely walking on the muddy floor made Vera nearly trip as she made her way to the platform above the crowd, where Amarantha and Tamlin sat. She took in the sight below her, a maze of tunnels and trenches covered in thick sludge. She couldn't see what was in the tunnels before she was thrown onto her knees in front of the queen. Standing around the stage, she found six men who were separated from the larger crowd. She could feel their power, albeit not much, radiating from them, and knew they were the other high lords of Prindian. Resand was there smiling at her, but Feyre ignored him. Upon Amarantha's raised hand, the crowd silenced. She turned to Feyre and announced that Feyre's first task had arrived. The queen was ready to see how deep Feyre's human affection ran. Amarantha continued and said that she had taken the liberty to learn a few things about Feyre. Feyre's body screamed to run, but she stood tall, locking her knees to keep them from giving out. Amarantha told her she would like this task. 
and to take a look. Feyre looked down to the mud-coated trenches that created a maze so complicated she would never be able to memorize it. As she stepped forward to get a better look, she felt hands on her back pulling her into the air. The crowd laughed while Feyre struggled in the adder's grasp before he dropped her feet first onto the floor of the trenches. She fell and the crowd laughed harder. She tried not to gag as the horrendous smell of the mud attacked her nostrils. Amarantha looked down upon her and exclaimed, Rhysian tells me you're a huntress. Hunt this. Feyre had only seconds to wonder how Rhysand had learned that. If maybe he'd read her mind or found her family. Before she could continue that thought spiral, Amarantha yelled, release it. Feyre took one last look at Tamlin's face, attempting to memorize it as the ground below her shook. Run. Amarantha whispered as it barged in. Feyre ran as fast as she could. Behind her was a giant worm, or what could have been a worm if you ignored the huge mouth filled with rings of teeth. Its body was between a pink and a brown. Feyre realized in that moment that the trenchers were its lair, and she was now dinner. Feyre ran down the trench. She knew she could be running towards a dead end, but she didn't have another choice. Above her, the crowd screamed louder than the sounds of the worm moving in the mud. She came to a fork in the path and took a left turn. Getting as far away from the worm as possible was her only hope. She found another fork and again turned left. She thought if she continued taking left turns, she could make a circle and come back upon the creature. But... The hope of that left her when she realized just how quick she'd have to be to do that. Lost in her thoughts, she ran into a wall. More laughter, more running. She found herself in a straightaway before she had the courage to look behind her to see where the creature was. Her blood turned to ice as it was much, much closer than she realized. She turned forward just in time to see a small opening in the trench. Feyre squeezed herself into the crack so quickly she didn't realize not only was it too small for the worm, but even too small for her. She was stuck. The worm behind her got closer and closer and the smell of it causing her to nearly throw up. She couldn't die like this, not with her body half exposed to the worm, stuck in a crevice in the mud in one of Amor the sick games. She pulled and scratched and flailed in the mud, trying anything she could to get herself freed from the mud. The worm burrowed closer to her and Feyre finally felt a pop. She was free. Even though she wished she had the time to cry tears of relief, that wasn't her reality. She had to go further into the maze, but doing that would only continue the game. Feyre looked up to see disappointment on the crowd members and saw them looking towards the other end of the maze. She realized that's where the worm had to be. How had the worm not seen where she'd gone? Oh, it was blind. The sudden realization hit her like a truck. She didn't even notice the large pit that had appeared in front of her until she fell into it. Smack. Her body tumbled into the mud that softened her blow enough to avoid any broken bones, but enough to knock the wind out of her. Feyre looked around to find she was in a dark tunnel with high walls and no end in sight. She was trapped. She began to try to take a few steps when something crunched under her feet. It took all her strength to not scream. She reached down to grasp whatever was beneath her. It gleamed white and the texture was far too familiar to her. Bone. Panic crept up in her throat. She had to get it out of here as soon as possible. Amarantha's distant voice loomed above her. She was saying that Feyre had ruined everyone's fun and that she should come out. Feyre wouldn't be doing that, but it did give her valuable information. The worm didn't know where she was because it couldn't smell or see her. Her vision had adjusted to the dark around her. She could see piles and piles of bone. Nearly in a blind panic, she found her way out of the den. The air wasn't fresh, but she could see again. She tried to scale up the wall, but only fell back onto the floor. She had to get up. She needed leverage to see where the worm was and how she could defeat it. She once again found the stench of the den to be overwhelming and had to force her nausea down. She attempted to climb the wall once more. The fairies above her taunted her. One said she was a mouse in a trap and another asked if she needed a stepping stool. Ah, uh, 
a stepping stool. Farah touched the wall to see how hard it was, and after realizing it would work, she went and grabbed the two strongest bones she could find. They were bigger than her leg and felt heavy as she embedded them into the wall. The fairies above her buzzed with confusion. Farah grabbed another bone and jammed it into the wall at the top of her arm's reach. One more bone entered Farah's grasp, but she kept this one in her belt. Ignoring the fae above her, she began stepping up her ladder, her very own stepping stool. It worked. The fairies yelled in confusion. Thera stepped back down and broke the smallest bone over her knee. She was determined that her plan would work because it had to work. There was no other option. Hunting is what Amarantha wanted, so hunting is what Feyre did. She grabbed as many bones as she could, breaking them with her foot once her knees were too sore, and stuck them into the floor beneath her, again and again until the entire floor was covered with her handmade knives, all except for one spot. She didn't second-guess her handiwork because it would either work or she would be dead. Feyre raced back to her ladder and climbed up. She impaled the final bone into the wall and pulled herself out of the pit. She could finally breathe. After making sure the three small bones that she tucked in her belt were secure, she headed to the closest wall. Feyre began painting herself with handfuls of the disgusting mud, all over. She covered her face and her hair and her back and her neck. Thera even rolled on the ground to make sure every inch of her body was covered. The creature was blind and could only locate Thera by her scent. Now, she no longer held that weakness. The fae continued their confused shouts. One asked, what is it doing? The reply came from Resand, who said, she's building a trap. The Midingar relies on its scent to see and Feyre has now become invisible. Feyre swore his eyes twinkled like the night sky as she flipped him off before she ran towards the worm. The few remaining bones that Feyre had were placed around the tightest of turns on her way towards the worm. Feyre found her spot, and with her last handmade knife, Feyre sliced through her palm. She clenched her fist, letting the ruby red blood spill out. She knew the worm would smell it in no time. Feyre looked around the corner to see if the worm had scented her, but it was gone. The room was dead silent until one familiar voice screamed, "'To your left!' Lucian had just saved her life. Seconds later, the wall where she had just been shattered, revealing the worm's glistening teeth. Feyre had to juggle the distance between her and the worm. She needed it far away enough to keep her from being eaten, but close enough that its hunger would override any thoughts of self-preservation. Feyre came to the first corner and used the bone she had placed to throw herself around the corner without losing any speed. The same with the next turn. She was losing breath and her bones ached as she continued at a quick speed, gaining precious seconds on the murderous creature. She was at the final turn. The fairy's screams were louder than ever. She she saw the opening of the cave in front of her and jumped. She landed in the only area she'd left free of bone. Her arms screamed with pain, finally causing a scream to leave her throat. She didn't have time to look. She ran as far as she could into the darkness and grabbed one final bone. She turned and saw the worm as it entered its lair. The monster moved to one side as if it were aiming to kill Feyre when it happened. Sounds of a wet and crunching type came from the location of the worm, and then it stopped. It took a second, but the realization hit her. The worm was dead. She wasn't going to be eaten, and she would live. The bay above her cheered as she made her way back through the maze of tunnels, but Feyre didn't hear them. Her arm hurt, but she didn't seem to care. She looked up at the queen and grinned because she had won. Amarantha acted anything but impressed, saying that she thought anybody could have done that. Feyre began to shake, not from fear, but from pride. The bone in her hand went flying towards the queen, but only landed at her feet. Everyone gasped, but the queen only laughed. Feyre promised that someday... When she had the opportunity, she would skin Amarantha alive. Amarantha added that she thought Pharaoh would be happy to know that most of her court lost money that night, as most of the court had bet on her dying within the first minute, and only a few had said she'd last more than five. There was only one single person who had said Pharaoh would win. Pharaoh wasn't surprised. The adder came to grab her from the maze and dropped her at the queen's feet. Amarantha quickly ordered that Pharaoh be taken away, as she was tired of looking at the boring human's face 
before calling Risa into her side. The searing pain finally caused Feyre to look at her arm. Bone. That was bone she saw protruding from the gory hole in her arm. Feyre barely made her way back to her cell in her pain-filled haze. There was something that I forgot entirely to address in my chapter from the last episode. And I don't know why, what? but it hit me in this episode. What? So one thing I really wanted to bring up was that before Feyre went into the mouth of the cave, she took a, one last look around at the green mountains and thought of Tamlin's eyes. But the last thing she looked at was the night sky. Oh. And I wanted to bring that up because I'm just saying I thought that was very interesting that she looked at the hills, the green hills and thought of Tamlin and yet mentions that the last thing she that she really took in was the night sky. And I just found it interesting because she's also met the High Lord of the Night Court. Right. The next chapter was talking about the night rippling off of Rhysan. And we got a little bit more from Rhysan in these chapters as well. So I'm sorry, I totally backtracked a whole previous episode but it needed to be brought up. That's fine. Yeah, that's weird. Right? Foreshadowing. Bestie, what are we doing? What is this? That's what that is. Now, there was quite a bit happening here. <laughs> there is quite a bit. You say? You think? I'm glad she's not dead. Yeah, that's always a good thing. When the main character survives, really happy. Okay, so here's the thing that I hate, right? There's still like a quarter of the book left. Yeah. So obviously she's not gonna die. <laughs> so it kind of takes like the emotion away from it just a little bit. I don't know. I was on edge though. You know, this was this was my first SJM bestie book. And it still had me kind of nervous. Uh... And looking back, I... I, I I'm kind of glad. Looking back, I feel like my senses were right to not trust what SJM, what Bestie would do to Feyre. From day one, we knew she was up to something. You cannot trust that any character is going to make it out of these series, guys. There's never like in Bestie we trust because in Bestie we don't trust. She's terrifying. Nobody is safe. Nobody is safe. Except for usually the main character. Very true. Mm, yeah. Yeah. You see what we're... Yeah. Mm, yep. <laughs> usually. I mean, at least this one's a badass because she like just defeated a giant worm. The worm I pictured and apparently so did everybody else... The worm from Spongebob the whole time. Thousand percent. Hundred percent. And I can't envision anything. And I saw that. Whole time. The Alaskan bullworm. She killed the Alaskan bullworm. The Alaskan bullworm. Mm -hmm. It was hard not to. But when I looked it up, apparently worm, W-Y-R-M, it's basically a, a dragon. <laughs> That's, <laughs> look it up. What? That, I promise you. No. Yes, yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the Google right now. That makes me mad. No, it's a thing. Yep, they're like these snake dragon things. Think the basilisk from Harry Potter. But why? That's I don't know why they're called worms, but it's essentially a basilisk from Harry Potter. You know, it's crazy. When I hear the word worm, I think of a worm. I'm just saying. <laughs> A worm. <laughs> Look, it's basically a dragon. It's got no legs and no wings. So it is the basilisk. It's just a really big snake. Uh, my ADD is acting, or ADHD is acting up. I need something to do with my hands. You just whipped out. <laughs> you want to tell our listeners what you just whipped out of nowhere? Abigail, our grandma of the day. <laughs> 
I just, <laughs> um, I like to call myself a 28 year old, ew, we're old now, 28 year old grandma. I just pulled out knitting needles. Did you just say ew? I'm older than you. <laughs> Shush, it's gross. God. Yes, I just pulled out knitting needles. It's fine. Would that be your weapon of choice? Yeah. Going back now, before we get to the worm, the Feyre's amazing defeat against uh, this monster of a beast. I did not, for for any moment, appreciate Lucian giving Feyre such crap about coming back to the to the courts, any of the courts, and being under the mountain. He's like, you shouldn't have come here. What have you done? Okay, he was being a butthead. He was. Like, we get it. You're right. She shouldn't have. She shouldn't have. She's a human. She can't do shit, Feyre. Feyre, you couldn't do anything. It was dumb. But, like, there's no point in berating her and tearing her down. She's here now. You gonna get her out, Lucian? Tell me how, please. No? Then why are you ripping into her? Like, chill the fuck out, my guy. Because he's worried about, I like, <sighs> he's trying to be like the big brother kind of thing. Like, how are you so stupid? But like. But he's beating a dead horse. Like, there's nothing that can be done about it now. Why would you beat her down even lower? She just got her, I mean, she literally just got beaten by an adder and some flunkies. Like. Now you're going to take her mental health down a little lower? Listen, it was done with good intentions. He's just worried about her. I think Lucian needs to bring it in, reel it in a bit, not be so mean, know when to stop harping on her over something she can't take back and change now. But he did fix her he nose. fixed her nose. Yeah, he did fix her nose. He's saying how much he cares for her. Just in a really weird way. At this point, it's become a very brotherly love of a relationship for them. They've definitely become more sibling type affection. You know, affection. That's such a weird word to put with that. It's become a very sibling type bond between the two of them. So I think Tamlin. I can see that. Would be happy to know. It, it, yeah, it's not as super like. Ah. It's not as flirty and playful. I don't know if he'd be angry about it. No, no, I don't think he'd be angry. I think he'd be relieved to see what the relationship has become. Because in the spring court, he was constantly jealous at how playful and flirty they could be. But now they're they're in a situation where their lives are at stake. And it's just a protective sibling-type bond that they seem to have. And I think Tamlin would much have much more appreciated that relationship from the get-go. It was cut. Kind of, we, we were talking about that. It was a weird kind of flirty. Yeah. Like, who am I going to go for kind of vibe? And now it's very much like, I love you as a friend. Yeah. He's like, you're being an idiot. Why are you here? But I like that he still gives her all this background information about Jurian. Just like, hey, as I'm going to fix your nose. Jurian played the long con with Clithia. He really strung her along. Is it sad that I'm proud of him? Like, that's probably not a good thing. He played it dirty. And part of me is like, you know, you did what you had to do. But also, like, as as a female, nobody nobody likes hearing when men do shady shit like that. Don't play on ladies' feelings. But it's also Clithia and Amarantha. And I have to remember it's not... That's why I'm like, I can't feel bad about it. I, I only feel bad for Jurian at this point. Yeah, it's hard. Because his soul's stuck. Yeah. So, like, I, I want to be annoyed that he was a guy and he, like, was shady. But 
it's it's amarantha and it's clithia and they're shady they make it hard exactly that you you can't play fair with them any other female i would have been very disgusted and did, wouldn't have approved these two i don't care that they got they got what they deserved. and like yeah i get it that he was kind of an ass oh sorry kind of a butt i'm like cursing up a storm you say ass one time oh. do you need to put the knitting needles away did you forget what podcast we're on <laughs> oh no oh my god <laughs> when my knitting needles come out i can't <laughs> i can't cush anymore no i just like I get that he was kind of a, not kind of, he was very much, I get that he was an asshole when he's like, hey, I'm going to kill your sister and then make you like witness it and then you're going to walk in and then you're going to be really upset. Like, yeah, that's, that's bad. But at the same time, she was mass murdering humans. Oh no. And that's, that's the reason why I can't feel bad. Like I said, if it were just any other female and he was just like using anybody else just for the sake of using them and not because that's how you had to survive the war was to play these people then i think i'd be more disappointed in him but i think he was justified here i have literally no sympathy for amaranth on this end except for the fact that it is kind of badass that she has his finger and his eyeball and a ring because you know we love our jewelry oh yeah oh yeah absolutely i think it it's kind of cool but also like not i mean his soul his literal soul is awake and aware for the rest of time you know what it reminds me of? Kind of the spell book from Hocus Pocus. Yes, that's it. Like that's that's what I get. That's the yeah. same vibes I'm getting. I don't think anyone can feel bad for Amarantha when she is quite literally forcing Tamlin against his will to be there because she wants him to love her. She is doing the gross icky things. We just have to say, Miss Amarantha, Miss Queen Bee is so dramatic. Oh, she, okay. I want to I want to say this, but I feel like it's offensive. I'm going to say it, but I just know I need to explain it. Okay, do you have your knitting needles out now? Okay, no, no, no. Here, I'm going to say it. Okay. Amarantha was definitely a theater kid, but it's an insult to theater kids, which isn't fair. Like, I wish she wasn't as awful as she is. Okay, no, 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 no. No, hold on. You're right, but you're wrong. Okay. Amarantha was the girl who always got the lead when she was younger, and she was the only one in the hometown who could sing. And now Feyre's coming in, and Feyre's the new girl that can sing in Amarantha's joke. That's exactly what it is. Okay. Now, okay. Are we are we talking like Amarantha Sharpay and yeah. Feyre is... Gabrielle. I forgot her name. Gabrielle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, don't you even test my high school musical knowledge, girl. It's up there. <laughs> All right. So Amarantha's the Sharpay. That, that feels way less offensive, because I love theater kids, and like that felt mean. So perfect. Okay, I feel better. I love that reference. But she's, she's, I hate that she's somewhat glamorous. She's not though. Even Tamara was like, eh, she's not that pretty. No, I, I didn't say she was cute. I didn't say she was pretty, uh, but she's got glamorous taste. A gown of rubies? You're telling me that that is not diva? Yeah. She doesn't have to be cute to be glamorous. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> 
I know, it's a hard one to swallow. It's hard to count compliment Amarantha. I just love that Lucian walks in and she, all Feyre keeps saying was like, I had to tell him I love him to, to see if it wasn't too late. Girl. I want Lucian to be like, oh no, honey, no. Ew. <laughs> hey, so it was probably too late when like you came to the house and saw everything was red. <laughs> hmm. And it looked like a stampede of elephants came in. Like that should have probably been your number one hint. But she just like casually ignored that. You know what I would love? I would love literally anyone being like, is he really worth it? it like I want someone to just put it in perspective for her. And not just be us, the voice of reason. I need I need Nesta to have seen the full picture and been like, oh, Faye, no, honey, no. I need that outside. <laughs> honey, no. Right. Speaking of the ruby gown, which we are introduced to in my chapter, Amarantha, although she did not hear Feyre's thoughts where she was roasting Amarantha, saying she said for Amarantha's not cute, Amarantha didn't hesitate to turn the tables and let Feyre know just how dreadful she looked and decided to try to let Tamlin also get involved in that conversation, asking Tamlin if he too thought Feyre looked dreadful. Like, what the hell, Amarantha? You did that to her. I was gonna say, how are you supposed to look good? Right, like, you had her roughed up. You did this to her. It's not like she woke up and looked that way. Like, you made her look bad. Feyre walked into you looking the way you look. It's not like Feyre caused it. You just looked that way on purpose. And then you did that to her on purpose. It's not the same. It's not fair. Hey, let me put you in a dungeon cell. <laughs> hey, TM, doesn't she look just gorgeous today? After she's been literally rotting in a cell for a month. Well, after she'd been beaten by the adder, not given any consistent meals or anything to bathe with. Lucian couldn't have done that good on, at, at her nose job. Let's be real. Mm. If her nose was broken and he fixed it, he's not a plastic surgeon, so I'm sure he didn't set it perfectly. Well, he said he left the bruises so that nobody would question it, but come on. Yeah, but he didn't say if he, like, fixed the bro. I mean, the bone was put back together, but who knows if it wasn't put back together perfectly. You know? I mean, I hope so. He said she looked just as pretty as before. So I hope. I hope. In my head, she's got a little bit like if she just turns to the side of the side profile, <laughs> there's just a little bit. A little but crack, anyway, yes. Queen Bee and her red ruby dress. It's just like she came dressed to like to win and like then tears Feyre down immediately. And it's like, that's not fair. You don't dress for the Grammys and then go, oh, at the, like the other people who aren't. That's so rude. And then she was mad. Amarantha's mad about Feyre not knowing Feyre's name. Are we shocked? I mean, I guess she's not really mad. But no, I wouldn't have been shocked. I have to say, reading this through the first time, I thought Amarantha was a lot more reactive and angry. Like, I read it as her getting, like, her feelings hurt and all, like, like snippy and prissy and mean. Right. But reading it, she's very calm and collected. And she takes a lot of the passive... She's calculated. Oh, very. She's very well thought out. And she her her snide comments, her cruelty, her torture, her, her everything is very cool. And she doesn't just tend to explode. Every little thing she's saying is very planned out and very, like you said, calculated. And I'm almost impressed at how evil, how much of a villainess she really is. It's, it's almost... Right. Why? I hate it. I hate this. I don't like it. It's almost cool how bad she is. 
like I wondered because there's so many people that like to cosplay as her at the Renaissance fairs. I mean, I, I personally, I couldn't do it. I, I still can't stand Amarantha. But reading her back, I get it. I get that she is a very calm, cool, collected, badass villain. It doesn't make her a good person. It doesn't mean I like her, but damn. The first time I was reading this, I will agree. I, I, I read it as she was overly emotional and she was dramatic, which I still fully stand by. But at the same time, I think her past and the trauma that she's gone through with her sister made her realize how harmful emotions are or can be. And I feel like she now just tucks those all aside and and is the, quote, leader and badass she needs to be to keep everybody under the mountain, you know? Yeah. Like, she she knows she's got work to do. And even though, quote, playing with Feyre is still fun, she's smart. She's so smart. Even with when she did her bargain, you could see Feyre trying to poke holes at it. Yeah. And Amarantha, in whatever, we don't know which way so far, but she's trying to plug those holes. Yeah. And make sure that a human doesn't outsmart her. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting, too, is Feyre realizes after this interaction in this chapter 35, that Amarantha didn't say anything about her being released immediately after the trials if she survives. And, but she did say immediately after the riddle, but she she never promised a timeline. And Feyre starts to doubt. And she's like, no, 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 that can't mean anything. No, everything Bestie does has a reason. And of course, Bestie's not going to just put that in there just for the fun of it. Obviously, we can panic right now. It's exhausting. <sighs> there is literally a reason for all of it. <laughs> I also kind of enjoyed Rhysand. I, I always enjoy Rhysand. He's so much fun to read. I enjoyed... But also didn't like, uh, I don't know. I was so conflicted. I'm sorry. That was the biggest oxymoron I've heard in a while. I know. I w- I'm so conflicted. Because I we, we've we seen how he acts around Amarantha. Very cool, sly, like very feline. Very playing with the mouse, but not really doing anything with it. And Amarantha kind of draws him in and is like, isn't this the girl that you saw at Tamlin's estate? And he's like, I don't know. All humans look the same. And... I was just like, oh, okay, <laughs> like rude. But Feyre gets me because she's over here like, oh, he knows who I am. He knows right. exactly who I am. He recognized me without even having to see me at Tamlin's estate. And I'm like, oh, like it was amusing that Feyre, who's doubting herself with Tamlin, with Rhysand immediately is just like, oh, he knows me. He knows me. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That contrast there where she's like, does he even still love me? Why won't he look at me? But the minute Reese is like, nah, they all look the same. She's like, excuse me. Right? The confidence change. And she's not angry. She's almost enjoying the way he's carrying himself, which is shocking to me. But it's just striking to see the differences between her and Rhysand and her and Tamlin, especially when Tamlin's supposed to be the love of her life, her high lord. Oh, sorry, I had a visceral, ugh, a visceral reaction to that. I will say one of, <laughs> every time. I have two favorite quotes. The second I'm going to save for later, but one of my favorite quotes was in this interaction with Rhysand and Amarantha, where Rhysand makes a comment about all humans looking alike and Marantha immediately gets in her feels and she's like, well, what about me? Oh, like, what did that have to do with you? You're not even human. Nobody was talking about you, buddy. Nobody cares. Amy, calm down. <laughs> it wasn't about you, honey. 
oh no and the way i read this which i hope i hope this is how he said it he was like i'm gonna say it how i think he said it among a sea of mundane faces yours is a work of art like i hope he was snarky about it like okay here you go you know he wasn't though no no no. i'm gonna fight you on that he was as smooth i know i know he wasn't but no no. I know. I know he was smooth, but I, I wanted him to say it snarky like that. I wanted him to. If it was Lucian, that would be the snarkiest snarky snark. Oh, Lucian for sure. That's exactly how he would have said it. But you and I both know Resan was like, among a sea of mundane faces, yours is a work of art. Oh, like his. Oof. It was probably so smooth it like physically was repulsive. Let's be real. I bet it rolled off the tongue. And like, I bet everyone had chills and was just like, I'm not even chills. I bet everyone was like, I'm sorry. I need to go find a cool dungeon cell wall myself after that. Like, whoa. Hey, now. (laughs) And Amaranth is probably eating out of the palm of his hands at that point. Oh, absolutely. I I think if if you give Amaranth a a treat of any type of attention, she's going to thrive in it. She's, oh, yes. Yes, darling. She's the it girl. She's the pit. No, no, no. She's not the it girl. She's the pick me girl. She's Sharpay Evans. Have you heard that? She wants everybody's attention on her all of the time. She has to be the important one. She's the, the Highburns general. She's the one that's, you know, side note, if you hear my knitting needles, I am approximately 77 years old. So it takes a few pages. Favor holds on to her name until they go to actually torture Lucian, which I still adore Favor being so loyal and so protective that she was willing to just give up her name and her life and possibly her family's lives to save Lucian in this moment. Okay. Yes, no. It makes me proud of her, but it's also so foolish. I am so proud of her for standing up for her friend because it shows her true character. As we said, Fair's got a freaking heart of gold. She doesn't always think she does, but she does. And so the minute that she hears somebody that she, mm-hmm. she knows and loves in pain, immediately she gives up herself. Again, stupid but very true to her character very now the fact that lucian didn't fight back for her and is like no 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 no, don't don't tell don't tell her don't you know i'm fine no she just goes my name's Feyre, and he's quiet i'm like buddy she also points out however resan didn't it didn't break a sweat for him to do that to lucian to hold his brain and his and be able to just it's creepy destroy him with like not even a snap of the fingers and I like that she pointed out because it makes me wonder well it is yeah but it makes me wonder it's one of two things either Amarantha let Rhysand have more power than everyone else which I don't know that that's the case because if he's if he's that powerful I don't think Amarantha would even risk it even for someone she supposedly trusts or was he just that powerful that that is just the sliver the sliver he was left with and if it is oh my god who is this man? Mr. Powerful. Kind of hot. <laughs> yeah. Um, buddy. You're telling me the most powerful man in the room with the the Riz? Oh. oh. So I gotta, whew, I'm gonna go turn down the AC real quick. How have we not talked about the riddle? I swear to God, if it is love, I'm gonna lose my marbles because that is right where my brain went. But then it went, no, it can't possibly be that cheesy. <sighs> it can't. There's no way it's that simple. I don't know, Lips. But all I know is that that was my first, my brain's like knee jerk reaction. And then I thought, oh, 
Feyre's not that much of an idiot. If it's love, she'll get it right away. Okay, but here's the thing. Feyre is illiterate. <laughs> she is literally Ill illiterate. For one, she probably never had the time or the opportunity to read any poetry, even if she could. So I don't know that Feyre would have the mindset to think in those ways. I think Feyre is going to, which she does, she's going to approach this with a logical sense, which with riddles we all know is not a good idea. She's going to be trying to figure out, is it an illness, an infection, a disease? She's looking through those types of Are you kidding? Look. options. <laughs> At times I seem to fever, fever, favor the clever and the fair, but I bless all who are brave enough to dare. What is the saying? If you're like brave enough to love. So I really hope that's not it because I will um, have to talk to Bestie on a personal level. I actually heard that Bestie had someone, there was someone, I think it was like a French poet or someone that helped her write the, the riddle. So we can't be mad at Bestie. Well, I am so sorry. Maybe go to a songwriter. That's a really bad poem. I don't know if they were French. I don't know if they were French. They were, I, I don't remember. Hold on. And I love Bestie. Obviously, we have a podcast dedicated to work. That's not her best work. So somebody helped her write it. Well, she should have maybe found another person to help her. I don't know. I don't know who helped her write it. Anyway. <clears throat> Hot take. Not my fave. In your chapter, the full moon had risen and she faced her first trial. Yeah, no, because we went from like learning about Durian to like all of a sudden. The worm? Hey, it's been a month. Like, I, I don't know why, but I feel like the time just flew by here. It really did. At least for this, up up to this first trial, yeah. She fights a giant worm. It's a very long chapter for her to basically fight a worm with some bones. And to break her own. To just destroy her arm. There's lots of things I like about this book. And we've are, we are no, nobody here is surprised when I say this is not my favorite book of the series. This was my least favorite part of the entire book. It, I don't think that this is the first time you've had to say that either. So I, yeah, you should not be surprised. Yeah, I was hooked. I was very drawn in. Very serious question. Do you like the John Wick movies? I've literally never watched them. Or like, do you like action movies in general? It depends. I don't like action movies where it's like cars and helicopters. Like, if you have to rely on big transportation and you're like, it's action. We're going to blow things. That's not action. That's a cheap. Okay, let me take this back. Do you like fighting scenes when like, or like if you're fighting against a monster or say defending a worm or defeating a worm? If it's done right, sure. I don't give a flying banana <laughs> about any actions. There's not a single action scene I've ever read in my entire life where I'm like, did you read the Hunger Games? Okay, I lied. I like the Hunger Games. Okay. But Besides that, there's not been like a single and then maybe later in these books. But in this book, especially here, there's nothing about this where it was like on pins and needles. Like, how is this going to turn out? And I don't know why. I just, I very much did not enjoy this chapter. And I feel like it was a very long chapter about a girl in a muddy trench with a, a weird worm. Hot take. I'm so sorry, my friend. There were some highlights and I'll give you some highlights. So here's my highlights. Um, the fact that the adder just dropped her, like, <laughs> she grabbed, the adder grabbed her from, like, 20 feet and just set her down on her legs. You know what it made me think of? Like, a claw machine. Yes. Like, just a, and, like, just drop her right in the pit. And I know he did not care about her at all. Oh, yeah. He was not gentle. And so, like, she didn't drop normally. Also, okay, Libby, we were talking about earlier, personally, we were talking about how, like, 
ever since we we have tummy troubles, certain words, phrases, thoughts, sounds will make us immediately nauseous, right? Sounds, yeah, yes. The thought of the smell of these trenches. <sighs> you know, before my tummy issues, I could like breathe through my mouth and it wouldn't bother me to to like just not smell a smell. No. And you can't do that anymore because it's like, oh, now you can taste it. You don't want to smell it? How about taste? Mm -hmm. You want to taste the gross air? Have fun. And that's all I can picture is there would have been no winning. I would have died really fast because the very first five minutes, I would have been puking the whole time. I was going to say, I'd just be throwing up. So this poor girl is there. And then, okay, so highlight number one. Um, number two, I really like this where this is not a favorite quote, but I'm going to give Bestie a high five on my writing here. It says, it was a giant worm or what might have once been a worm had its front end not become an, an enormous mouth filled with, with ring after ring of razor sharp teeth. It barreled towards me, its pinkish brown body surging and twisting with horrific ease. This is the part I like right here. The trenches were its lair and I was dinner. I don't know why. Loved that. It painted a good picture. Very simple, very to the point, And it was a great way to picture that. Love that. Let's keep going. I found it interesting that Amarantha was like, Resan tells me you're a huntress. I'm sorry. Why is Resan talking to you about me? Hunt this. Drama. Queen. <laughs> well, yeah, hunt this. But like, I'm sorry. Resan, you, you asked about me, Amarantha? <laughs> what? I don't feel like he... I, no, no, no. I do not feel like... They were like just casually talking about her. I'm sure Amaranth was like in bed. Tell me everything you know about her. Oh, don't say in bed. Don't ruin that image for me. I like to pretend that's not how we know it is, but I like to pretend it's not. Ugh. She's his mistress. How does that work? Oh, God. Someone, Amaranth is a mistress, okay? You know what? You know what? Just like Farrah deserves better. Resan deserves better. Oh my god. Uh. No, this is the High Lord of the Night Court and the most vicious man known to Earth. Known to Corinthian. What do you mean he deserves better? No, I'm sorry. He's too charming. He's way too charming. That sound of... The sound of him being Amrith's mistress is one of the sounds that makes me nauseous. So... No I feel you. like... I mean this in the nicest way. The fact that he's able to charm you just means if you were in like a horror movie... And the villain was just in any way charming, you'd be dead. <laughs> oh, I, I would die so quick in a horror movie. You'd be like, I'm out, guys. I would want to be the character where, like, the killer's coming after me. And I'm like, stop it. Oh, my God. Have you been working out? Like, I want to I wanna throw them off where they're just like, they... Do you, are you obsessed with me? They first... At first, they want to kill me. Right. Like, they, they're, like, going to attack. And I'm like look at those muscles you know so they want to kill me but then they're just just annoyed enough that it's charming that they choose to let me live just because they feel like they have to like i've become uh, they're like fine. okay you can stick around i tried to like my you know flight f fight flight or dough i have a new one it's called um when I am scared in a haunted house, I just try to befriend the actors. <laughs> Fight, flight, or flirt? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mine's flirt. So I feel like here, I would just be flirting back with Amarantha the whole time. and be like, there you go. Oh my God, you want me to go in the trenches and get dirty for you? Okay. Girl, stop it. That's exactly what happened. I'd be boosting her up. I would be kissing her butt like, look at that gown. Oh my God. Red ruby? 
Did you, who makes these? Look at you. Oh my God. I, I'm so honored. Oh. I feel like Amarantha loves attention that like, she'd be like, you know, you don't have to do this. You're going to be my pet. And then we can scheme behind her back or something. We'll find the people. We'll figure it out. But like, you got to play the charm game. You got to be smart with your word. It's not Farah. That's not Farah. What am I saying? That's never going to be Farah. Okay. So this girl goes into these trenches and my favorite, okay, another favorite part. I love that the Midgard, is that how you pronounce it? Midgard worm, right? Yeah. Lord knows pronunciations are not our strong point, but <laughs> the worm here. I love that he's blind. I just, and I love how she figures it out because everybody else, like she has, she gets stuck in, of course, Farah gets stuck in a crevice. Like, why wouldn't she? Yeah, right. And she, she's like, oh, this is how I'm going to die. And then she's like, he's blind. <laughs> like, and she just, it was blind. I was so surprised that I didn't notice the enormous pit that opened for in front of me. She's so shocked he's blind that she literally falls in a hole. <laughs> <sighs> okay, and then that's where she realizes that, oh, if I can set up a whole bunch of bones, like spears... And then use them as a ladder. Okay, that's another favorite part. Maybe I do like this chapter. I love that the fairies were making fun of Feyre. And, like, basically, like, egging her on. Like, trying to piss her off. Yeah. One of them was like, there was a mouse caught in a trap. And then somebody goes, do you need a stepping stool? And Feyre's like, yes. A stepping stool. Yes, I do. Thank you. I'm going to make my own. Thank you. And that, that, okay, that was great. You know why I couldn't be Feyre in this, though? The second I get hurt, the second the adder would have dropped me, I would have just been crying. Like, why? That really hurt. Like, I I wouldn't be able to pull myself together to get through any of it. Maybe it's adrenaline, but, like, the way her arm gets just shattered and destroyed, I would have been like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> That's at the end. She, like, basically made it through the whole thing. It doesn't matter. Any little thing along the way, if I would have stumbled when I fell in the pit like she did, I would have been, I would have been sobbing. Like, she's covering herself in mud. I would have been crying at having to do that. I couldn't handle it. Okay. No, no, no. You say this, but you deal with, like, the most painful shit on a daily basis <laughs> that normal people would, like, not be able to handle. So, nah, take that back. <laughs> All right, that's fair. I do, yeah. My, my, my autoimmune disease and my chronic pains. Yeah, that's fair. My, my pharmaceuticals all over my work test. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think maybe you have a, a little leeway there, friend. I think you are a little bit stronger than you think. You know, you're not the, you're not the only grandma. My purse shakes and rattles from all the medications when I walk around. Mine just clinks and clinks from hold the knitting needles. Knitting needles. There you go. <laughs> okay, remember how I was talking about earlier that I was really mad at Mr. Lucy. For not standing up for Feyre. He comes back in clutch. So when she goes up and she... To the worm. And like after she sets the trap. She goes up to look like to see where the worm is. And suddenly the worm's gone. And she's like where did it go? Mm -hmm. And she would be dead if Lucian didn't go... To your left. He redeemed himself. To your left. Actually, my favorite quote is right here. Because the way Bestie wrote this is beautiful. It says, Then, shattering the silence like a shooting star, a voice, Lucian's, bellowed across the chamber. To your left. She'd be dead if it wasn't for him. I feel like he redeemed himself a little bit there. He totally did. I think at this point, if he didn't, I think we could have totally written him off as 
being a person we could like because Farah has time and time again. She has forgiven him for times where he tried to let her get killed. Or drop the ball. She has saved him. Like she has proven herself to him enough that it shouldn't have taken him this long. So I'm glad he finally stepped up. I really liked, though, when she does get to the point where she's snapping the bones to build the trap for the worm to fall on. And I I like two things. I kind of liked how the Fae stick to being crappy Fae to her, where they're like, what's it doing? Like, she's not even a she. She's not even a human. What's it doing? It's like, okay, look. <laughs> but then Thanks, buddy. I, I love the description, a deep, elegant voice like oh like I'm, I'm sorry if we needed to be reminded of how seductive resand is like just him speaking a deep elegant voice you didn't have to go that hard bestie we didn't you didn't need to reiterate this like oh my god anyway a deep elegant voice replied this time she's building a trap i agree and i can't even do it justice she's building a trap like ugh. no and you know what? They they describe it as purring. And like, yeah, that kind of grosses me out because it reminds me of Cats the musical. You know what, though? I will take purring over growling any day. Any day. You growl at me. Huh. Can we do none of the like animalistic stuff? Do you know primal play is a thing? Stop. That's not this podcast. I didn't know that was a thing, but I think SJM might love it. A little bit too much. So, growling and purring and screaming and... Have you read Crescent City? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Resand continues on to explain... Mm. They're not the smartest. They're not getting it. The Fae are getting it. He's like, it relies on its scent to see. And I love this part where he's just like, and Feyre just became invisible. And it was like, oh, I don't know. Just the chills of just the, like, she became invisible. Like, it was so poetic of him. I like the writing. And we know that that's who he is. Yes. Ah, I like that we're getting it not from his viewpoint, because we're still in, in Feyre's, like, first person. But I like that we're getting information about the situation, not only from her. I don't know. I thought yes. he killed it. It's a good narration while we're still in her point of view. Right. So then she kills the worm and then girlfriend goes and breaks her arm. And not only does she yes. break her arm, she like, she goes, oh, my arm kind of hurts, but I'm going to continue on because I've got this monster thing killing me, coming after me. Cool. But like, then once she looks down, bleh, speaking of wanting to be nauseous, I looked at my left forearm and then my stomach rose at the trickling blood, ripped tendons, and the lips of my skin pulled back to accommodate the shaft of a bone shard protruding clean through it. I remember when I very first read this and I was just like, what the, what is happening? Like this was not as bloody and gutty. Even when the one Faye had his wings ripped off early on in the book, it wasn't this absolutely atrociously disgusting as it is now i was like what where did this book go like it has taken quite a turn i love it i love how crazy it's all getting but i was not ready i was not prepared for the turns and for the 
for the gruesomeness that was to come. It went from this this girl's just just in this like really drab cottage with her starving family to right. now her a worm is chasing her and her bones are protruding from her skin. She just wanted to paint. <laughs> she just wanted to paint. She wanted to paint. She wanted to eat and go to bed in a safe place at night. And now she's got a worm chasing her. She wanted to flirt. She wanted the hot guys, the hot fae guys. Yeah, now she's covered in worm shit. Let's be real. Bile in the dead guts, the dead body remains. We're going to call it mud. Let's No, there's no way. You're not in a sea of bones and it's not just... It's not... Oh, no, no, no. Not just worm shit, Libby. No, no, no. <laughs> Decaying humans. Yes. That's the smell. Now, when you put that into perspective, dead things... Plus poop, plus open wounds. Plus, you got to think, their intestines, their bowels are all destroyed and open. So it's not just worm poo. It's dead human poo and dead human remains. There's a lot of really gross stuff at play. And add in the freaking now open wound. I'm like, this ki- this cannot be good. None of this is good. I'm sorry. Feyre, at this point, I'm like, she's getting amp- That arm's getting amputated. There's no way. How does... Uh, no. All I can think is she's going back to a dirty dungeon cell you're dying that's what i think i stupidly hoped amarantha would be like all right hose her down no no probably not i don't know why i thought like that nicely of amarantha she wouldn't do something like that let's be real okay but a side note fair tries to stab her too it was cute it didn't work but it was cute you know, it was a good reaction, though, because Amarantha, after she kills the freaking worm, Amarantha goes, well, I suppose anyone could have done that. Bitch? Yeah, anyone. What? You not see all the dead, decaying bodies? No. No. Anyone could have done that, Libby. What are you talking about? But that brings me to my other favorite quote. I'm going to read it. It says, I took a few running steps and hurled the bone at her with all my remaining strength. It embedded itself in the mud at her feet, splattering filth onto her white gown and remained there, quivering. And then Amarantha just smiles and naughty. That's that's all she says. Of course, very calm and cool and naughty. But I loved the image of Feyre just being like, and just tossing the freaking bone at her and just splattering the, the, the worm shit up on her dress. It was, it felt like another little win. Take this woman with your freaking ruby red dress with the man of my dreams on your right hand side. Here's some worm shit. Thanks from my broken bone hand. Here you go. It was gross. She deserved it. I hope it doesn't come out of her dress. I hope it stains forever. I hope they can't get it out. Can't do anything about it. Like this woman wears a dress more than once. You know that that's not gonna happen. I know. It makes me sad for Feyre at the very end. Where like she can barely. She's been through so much that walking back to even her cell after all that she can barely manage it. I'm like, girl. Yeah. Who? Poor lady. But. That concluded your chapter. Do you have anything else to add? Or can we go to not poop, which is our star of the week this week? Okay, our star of the week this week is an absolute doll named Brethany. Brethany, yes. Brethany. Brethany, that is your new name. You are welcome. Please keep this in Libby. Bethany Brooks. Us with dyslexia have an issue with Brethany. Bethany Brooks. Which her Instagram is what's Bethany reading. And she's got a little about me. And it says, 
My name is Bethany Brooks, not Brethany Brooks. I am a full-time influencer on Instagram and TikTok. I am married and we have three precious cats. I love reading, bullet journaling, and spending time with friends. My favorite genres are thriller, contemporary fiction, and fantasy. I'm a big-time audiobook listener literally same for both Libby and I. Yes. And a Kindle fanatic. Literally same. Libby, have you gone from the Nook to the Kindle now? Have you officially transitioned over? I do both, Abby. I go both ways. <laughs> she's, a, she's a verse. Oh my gosh. I am most proud of all the relationships I've made on Bookstagram and how my hobby of reading has expanded so much. I am so jealous. She is a full-time book influence. Are you kidding me? How do we do that? I would love to be a full-time book and I want to be a full-time book podcaster. Bethany, help. Right? Hey guys, <laughs> go ahead. Share our podcast so we can do this all the, all the time. Please. That's all I want to do is be a full-time one. So we are very jealous. We just want to talk to you guys. All the time, all day. We are very jealous of Bethany. But her Instagram is so cute. It's full of like all pastel colors. And she's got all her spooky stuff out for the for the spooky season. So please go check her out. You will not regret it. Even her like her little um, highlight reels are all little pumpkins. I like that. With cute little dimple like hearts on there too. She's very cute. She's got the aesthetic part down. So again, what's Bethany reading on Instagram and TikTok? And go check her out. She's the star of the week. Calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you. You know, is there ever a time where we're like, we don't. We don't want to hear from you guys. Don't do it. Stop it. Actually, not calling dreamers this week. We, we're not. We're not calling you guys. I'm just kidding. Yes, we are. We are. I'm so sorry. Don't don't leave. It was a Please joke. Please send us emails. We're lonely. It's our favorite thing, especially because like we're on opposite sides of the, the time zones. So Abby sends me the screenshots or I send her. And then when Abby's asleep, I freak out about it and respond. And then when I'm asleep, she responds back. Listen, it's a bonding experience for us all here. So please send <laughs> us messages about when you listen. Oh, Libby, I have to tell you, we just got a message. I don't know if I told you. We got a message from a listener who her five-month-old daughter likes listening to us in the car. How cute is that? No, they don't. Stop it. Yeah. Oh my gosh, let me pull it. Let me pull up her name so I can give her a shout out because she's literally made my heart break. Her name's Denise. And she said, uh, she recently reached out this past Saturday and said, just listened to the last episode and loved it. My daughter's five months old and loves to listen to you when we're driving anywhere. And she sent us a picture of her daughter and she's got the chubbiest little cheeks and she's wearing a Minnie Mouse shirt and it's so cute. So literally this stuff makes our whole week. Like, you should see Libby's face right now. Can we make her an honorary member of the House of Wind Book Club, please? Yes. So she's our tiniest five-month-old member. Yes. Tiniest House of Wind Book Club member. And she is so cute. So, again, literally makes our whole day, week, month. If you want to continue to make our every moment, you can reach us through our email at accordofthornsandpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can slide into our Instagram DMs. Either way, do you do you. We're, we're going to be checking out both. Our husbands won't mind. They they know what they signed up for. All right. They agreed to this. Skylar, you, you're locked in. I'm sorry. You, you're, There's nowhere for you to go. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We will see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. From the dark, there's a man from the fight. Makes me taking all my feelings 
You in my head, you in my heart. I'm afraid of dark. She goes so hard to the song. I know. We're, this is going to be the longest episode we own. The podcast is ending after seven hours. This is definitely going to be a long one. <laughs> Surprise, Abby.